Fucking Steve here, man. Go get some fucking rock and fucking roll records. Playing your fucking ear drums. You're what? not fooling anybody. You got a bunch of long, boring paragraphs to read. Them. Oh yeah, you're right. Read yeah, I get, yeah, I get, okay, okay. All right, here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> that was that was a good attempt, though. Thank you. It'd be like Thank super you. fun. All right, here podcast. we go. Okay. Here's the intro. <clears throat> the year is 2017. Summer is over. <laughs> Summer has not even begun. America is buried under a blitzkrieg of executive orders. The government seeks to control the populace through fear, division, and misinformation. But something stands in their way. No authority has yet devised a battle plan for the annexation of the human spirit. That doesn't mean they won't try, though. And with every other demographic already under attack, how long can it be before the current administration tries to crush rock and roll? The ultimate expression of rebellion for white men ages 35 to 75. The gears of tyranny grind on, gentlemen. So last summer, when I was researching the George Orwave episode, uh, I found a few concept albums that were straight up just based on the book 1984. Like literal Orwell music wasn't really what I was going for there. There was quite a bit of it, though. Uh, and we're listening right now to uh, the first ever 1984 concept album, uh, which was David Bowie's Diamond Dogs from 1974. Uh, originally, he was he wanted ready that, 10 yeah. years early. Yeah, he's ahead of his time again. Uh, he wanted to do a full-fledged stage musical version of 1984. Because he's kind of boring deep down. Yes. <laughs> a com- it was supposed to be an album and a film project, like multimedia extravaganza type thing. Uh, but Orwell's widow would not grant him the rights to do it. So the Diamond Dogs album has the songs that survived. Uh, even though it has a few good songs, it's one of his weakest like classic era efforts. So even if he had finished this as a rock opera, it might have been a major... Your flop. I want to tell a fun story about the Diamond Dogs album cover. Please do. It was a gatefold, and the top half of David Bowie was David Bowie. The bottom half of David Bowie was a dog. The original cover, you could see the dog's dick. But because you could see David Bowie, people got freaked out. Like, oh shit, David Bowie's dick's on that album cover. So they uh, pulled it back. They didn't let it out. But a few got out, and they're super valuable. One just sold on eBay for 3500 bucks. I uh, I went and checked my album. My Diamond Dogs don't have a dick. Mine also does not have a dick. Uh, sorry, guys. You could have struck it rich there. Yep. A couple dickless Diamond Dogs over here. Now, if you're going to write a rock opera... You, you, if you're going to write a big, overblown rock opera concept album, most often it's going to be set in a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. And uh, today in the studio with us, we have uh, a man who is who actually works in this genre, a uh, friend of the podcast in town from New York City, uh, Mr. Tony Zaret. Welcome back to the studio, yeah, Tony Zaret. Welcome Zaret. back to the podcast. Well, it's great to be here. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people tell me I look like Ed Sheeran had a baby. It's not the stand-up stage. Oh, yeah. 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 Can't you yeah, see what I look like? Yeah, this isn't look a visual like. medium. Oh. It's a good joke, though. Thank you very yeah. much. It's true. All right. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, Tony, a few years back, you uh, you actually wrote a rock opera for channel or a show for Channel 101 New York called Roboticus, uh, and it was set in a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. 
Uh, and all four of us were in some way involved in it, although I don't remember how. Yeah, I only I know that I played the shirtless drummer. Yeah, I made it with him. Okay. And also, so you, I, I just made it for regular Channel 101, but it wasn't Yeah, it didn't get in. <laughs> but it did get into Channel 101 yeah. New York. Yes, and it won. Uh, no, it didn't win. Yeah, it won Best Music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a category, but thank you. Anyway, let's move on. It too. All right. Uh, JD and I were merely talent. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so I, I got to thinking, like, how did that get to be the cliche? Like, I can think of two or three rock operas that were set in a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed just off the top of my head. But there had to be more, because, like, cliches become cliches through uninspired repetition. So I did some digging, and I started to wonder, like, can I get a top ten for an episode out of this? Are there really enough actual, real-life examples of dystopian futures in which rock and roll has been outlawed? Well, I am pleased to announce that the answer is close enough. <laughs> Welcome to a little genre that I like to call... Dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. Yes, it's a one-word noun with no spaces. It's the Beyond Yacht Rock podcast. It's the only podcast on the internet that still says "What's up," and the only one that counts down musical songs, musical, musical songs, songs of genres kind. of our creation. Uh, my name is JD Riznar. What's up? I'm fucking Hollywood Steve, man. Let's get to the rocking. He's on cool fire. Yeah. Hey, I'm David Lyons. I'm glad you brought up musical songs. That's what the Beach Boys sing about. It's a very important term. Hunter. Yo. Hunter. And of course, we've already said hello to Tony Zarrett. Welcome to the studio. It's exciting to have you back. And we got a funny setup where you can't hear the music. Yeah, which really stinks because I was really looking forward to hearing this Fear Factory tune <laughs> yeah. coming up. But uh, oh well. <laughs> You're just going to have to hear us describe the music yeah. and yeah. feel it that way. We're going to have to really paint a picture for him today. Uh, You're going to have to buy it after you get out of here. So because we created the term Yacht Rock, we like to throw a bone to the Yacht Rock genre every week. And this time we're listening to Patty Austin. Do you love me? Was this your choice, Jamie? It was, but our good friend Tim Malcolm, he just wrote an article for VinylMePlease.com where he recommended the top ten Yacht Rock song, uh, albums you should own on vinyl. And in that list was Patty Austin's Every Home Should Have One, which we talked about before. He highlighted or highlighted this one song that I've never given a good listen to. And do you love me? It's a hot song, uh, but I will say on that list, No Minute by uh, Minute by Minute by the Doobie Brothers. Tim, that's a that's it seems like Maybe that could, would be essential. I think everybody has it anyway. Oh yeah, it yeah. goes without saying. Um, it's a dollar bin staple. So Tim said this song sounds an awful lot like Loggins' I Gotta Try, but I don't quite hear it. I can hear a little bit of that. Oh, absolutely. This is, uh, it's it's how she purrs through the verses. I can imagine Loggins singing it, but I don't really No jazz it. growl, but uh, I, can't <laughs> tell, I can't tell what it sounds like. Here. But uh, anyway. It's pretty um, good. I think yeah. you'd like it. Right. it. Sounds like Patty Austin. But this, is, this is a rare Yacht Rock song because it's it's Yacht Soul. It's a mild Yacht Sco with log line elements, some hold the line electric guitar, and Steely Dan style guitar noodling. This is Yatatui. It's a hearty stew of yacht elements with some slap bass from Lewis Johnson thrown in for extra flavor. Thunder thumbs! Thunder thumbs! Um, I could also hear Michael Jackson singing this, and I'd be surprised if Michael didn't listen to the shit out of this album while recording Thriller. It also helps that this song was written by Rod Temperton and produced by Quincy. Uh, yeah, you're pretty spot on with that. She definitely, so she starts like Loggins, finishes like MJ, 
and we all know that she can pull off Michael McDonald if mm-hmm. she needs it to, which is a bit of a disservice to compare her to everybody else. But it, I think it really goes to the fact that she has just incredible range. I mean, she's worked with Logan. She's worked with Michael Jackson. I think they all get their style from her. Probably. Uh, so that's Lukather playing guitar, if you haven't figured it out already. We got Paulina DaCosto uh, percussing, and the synth triumvirate of Philangains, Foster, and Boddicker. Wow. Now I need to pay attention. Is it always Quincy Jones who brings the three best synth players together like that? Uh, hey, Q, somebody asked this question. Now, Q, be- who should we get to play synth? Let me ask you this, man. Who shouldn't we get, baby? He gets all of them. So you just you're gonna bring in all three, and we have to pay for three different people playing the same instrument. I got a big budget for this all album. Right, I get big the, budgets for all my albums. You're the cue. Quincy Jones. Uh, so there's yacht rockers up and down this album, but uh, of course this is from Factory Q. Uh, and one of my favorite songs on here is the second to the last track called Oh No Margarita. That song, along with Mark Jordan's Margarita, are the two tropical drink yacht rock songs you should be listening to and have on your yacht rock playlist instead of Pina Colada song and Margaritaville. But Margaritaville, of course, not really that bad. Hey, come on. Hey, let's yaski I mean, this. For Jimmy Buffett, it's not that no. bad. It's classic. Yeah, that's like, that's like being the tallest dwarf. Let's uh, <laughs> let's yaski this song so we have it on the record. Oh. 85. 85 for am me. I, am I next? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a 73. Wow. <laughs> Stop saying wow. Wow. You're 82 just, for me. I think JD's uh, just a little bit high. I'll go 82. You, are you low because it's a little too dancey, a little too disco? It's disco, but yeah. it's 73 isn't it's it's a, fine a bad number. number. Yeah. It's too dancey, too hot. <laughs> 87. Wow. All right. Human calculator Tony Zarrett, what's the average? Well, I'll give you my rating on the ASCII scale. Uh-huh. I got to say zero. <laughs> no <laughs> drums, no percussion, <laughs> no singing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I haven't heard anything that sounds less like Yacht Rock. <laughs> Before. And again, the big is Tony. I do not have headphones on. He cannot hear them. <laughs> can't hear the music. I didn't count. Yeah. <laughs> that deserves a wow. Yeah. Hmm? That deserves a wow, Dave. Mm. Tony's quick wit. Oh, he's mm. he's, oh. Uh, he's he's letting you know that it was a very mm. poignant right. statement that you just made, Jay. Wow. Um, all right. We need to learn about this, this genre called... Um, uh, a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. Well, yeah. Tony, do you have something to say? No. Oh, it looked I'll like you wanted to say something. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're holding that mic up to your mouth. Like you, yeah, you got, I'm just keeping it ready in case oh, yeah. I think of a, a yeah, singer. In case yeah. a singer. Like uh, a yeah. I got I'm not going to just put it down and pick it up. All right. Like in case when, when lightning strikes, you don't yeah. want to You want to have the, the lid off that jar. The only time I'm going to drop it is if I say something really funny that I'm going to keep it down. He said, he said uh, drop it down and stick his tongue out. And then I out. dropped and it down then, and yeah. stuck yeah. my tongue out. And then you couldn't hear him. Okay. But once again, Tony. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so hard. He just yeah. got it. He's not getting a, it. He's not getting a visual it. medium. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, Steve, take us to the terrible future. All right. Uh, so... It's not difficult at all to find songs or concept albums that are set in a dystopian future. There's tons of that stuff. The hard part of this genre is determining whether in this dystopian future rock and roll has in fact been outlawed. Uh, I read a lot of concept album plot summaries just looking for evidence. Some of them were indeterminate, like, for example, everything Janelle Monet has ever recorded. It's all set in a dystopian future, 
but I could not figure out the government's stance on rock and roll or even futuristic R&B one way or the other because it's not central to the plot of what's happening. Janelle Monet, really? Yeah, yeah. Every, it's like she's playing an android character oh. running around a futuristic dystopia. Is it her eccentric hairstyle? It's like a. It's supposed to be a future hairstyle. Maybe. All right. It's it's, it's 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 a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff happening there. But in all that stuff, doesn't say about music one way or the other. Uh, so right now we're listening to a track from Fear Factory's 1998 album Obsolete, which has a classic dystopian future plot. See, the machines have taken over, mankind is now obsolete, until the hero Edge Crusher breaks out of jail to lead the revolution. He's chased by the members of the Securitron and their robots. He shows up at an anti-war protest that the Securitron breaks up and he's recaptured, I think. But it's impossible to tell if rock and roll has been outlawed uh, since this is a somewhat mechanical-sounding industrial metal band, that's the conflict in the plot. Not the it's, it's man versus machine. Um, so this requires us to answer the biggest question facing humanity as we rush towards singularity. If robots make rock and roll music, is it still rock and roll? If yes, we have a mystery with this song. And if no, uh, and only man can create rock and roll, I would say rock and roll is by default outlawed in this song. All right, well, that's a reasonable argument. Thank you very much. I I would argue on the side of if drum machines have no soul, a robot can't make rock and roll. I think you need a human. I just don't think you can separate it that much. I would say that in any police state, a free uh, form of expression would be outlawed in general. Uh, Like, for instance, in Roboticus, rock music wasn't necessarily forbidden. Uh, but free freeform rocking out was, yeah. see, it had to be state approved and controlled. So in a larger construct, I would say that in essence, it would be barred, barred rock. I just want to say I, I do have headphones on and I can. Uh, we found headphones. I can hear the got- fear factory song. Oh. And it- <laughs> Are you uh, mono or stereo over there? I'm just in one ear. And, uh, you know they say. This is a visual medium, but uh, I've heard that I think a it's times. even less interesting to just be discussing mono or stereo. So let's just <laughs> keep it rolling it. along. He knows, he knows how to do the fucking podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not you, Dave. Still haven't figured it out. All right. Uh, wow. Uh, See, anyway, too many, too many artists don't make clear all the rules and regulations in their totalitarian dystopias. You need a, con- a companion volume to the albums or something. But I think it sounds like there's more evidence for this song... Uh, belonging to this genre than not. If we had, if somebody put a gun to our heads, like, if the Securitron put a gun to our heads, we would say it probably is absolutely dystopian future when Dragon Ball has been outlawed. I don't even need a gun to my head. Listen, when I'm president, Steve, I'm going to make everything clear. I'm going to sign an executive order stating that any band, past or present, that has recorded a concept album in the dystopian future must release to the public whether or not rock and roll is outlawed on I, that album. That's a great platform plan. Yes, yes, I now will require a sticker to be placed on the front of albums that reads dystopian future colon rock and roll outlawed or dystopian future colon rock and roll allowed. And any band failing to do this on their releases or back catalog releases, uh, all revenues from those unlabeled albums will be taxed at 100% and given back to the American people. Oh, that's great. And for the record, Steve, uh, would you like to give us bullet points of this genre? It's pretty clear, but just like some quick bullet points to recap. Well, basically the only criteria I had for belonging to this genre is A, the song or the concept work from which it is taken 
has to be set in a dystopian future. And B, okay. I had to be able to tell from, I had to be able to reasonably assume, if it wasn't outright stated, that rock and roll has indeed been outlawed in this future dystopia. All right, so because this is a lyrically based genre, this is what I like about this playlist. Like, you'd think that they all sound the same. Like, they're all prog, stupid prog rock bands. But Steve, Only some of it is stupid. Yeah, yeah you think they're bands. stupid. Yeah. We think it'd all be, but Steve's done a pretty good job digging prog. up. Some of it is stupid music of others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's some's prog. Uh, but Steve, you've done a great job um, just digging up a nice range of sounds for this one. There's some real surprises on this countdown. Yeah, there really are. I, and this is, I think this might be the first really lyrically based genre that I've, that I've tried to put together. So it's not, uh, not going to be like, epit- like one sound epitomized like a lot of my uh, genres are. Um, Which is what you just And I'd like to say that uh, because I can't pronounce the whole thing, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to refer to this in short form as, as bard rock. Like, okay. Like hard rock. So if I ever say that again, bard rock. Bard like B A R R E D. Not like bard like a. No, like, not like not, Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, not a Shakespearean. That should have been your name for rock bands. Well, rock bands was a good I, too. I'm sorry. Um, and so finally, we, so we brought Tony in here because uh, not only is uh, was he in town, but this we happened to be doing a genre that was right in his wheelhouse. So we wanted to bring him in to read the plot descriptions of all these songs, relieving Hollywood Steve of like 10 large paragraphs. Yeah, these, these plot lines are extremely convoluted. and uh, <laughs> But all somewhat kind of similar. Somewhat similar, but each one brings its own unique madness to they're, the they're basic twist template. on a classic take. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which yeah. is rock and roll has been outlawed in a future dystopia, right? Exactly. Okay. Pretty much. Gotcha. All right, guys. This is Shooter Jennings with the song Wake Up. Oh, you mean Uh, Wake Up? Yes. There's an exclamation mark. Subtitle Sheeple. It's not really a subtitle Sheeple. (laughs) But that's the sentence. An implied subtitle. Yeah. The the reason I put this song in here, it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you come from. Anybody can wake up tomorrow stuck in a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. Even outlaw country scion Shooter Jennings, who has appeared multiple times on the Alex Jones Conspiracy Hour, which I assume is the name of the show. I don't know. Is that? It's called InfoWars because they are waging war on accurate information. There's a spinoff show called... Uh, live with a non-existent fact fact filter between David Lyons' mind and mouth. That yeah. sounds exactly right to me. Mm-hmm. It could also be Prison Planet too. That's their other thing, and uh, <laughs> which I assume is a failed concept album title. The band Clutch has a song about a prison planet. Oh, Should've I think a, I think I may have heard that it's a one. Great song. All right, Tony, I'm going to throw it to you right now and <laughs> explain explain this the the album that this comes from. So this song is from a concept album called Black Ribbon. It came out in 2010. And here's the plot, okay? The government is about to take over the free public airwaves of radio and censor all the content it deems inappropriate. So I already do. Yeah, so just basically, well... It's the FTC. Yeah, they should have called it the FCC. Well, let me say, so, show you why this okay, is so crazy, all right? Different. Because this is a world where the radio stations are actually owned by the government instead of by iconoclastic outsiders like Clear Channel Media and iHeart. 
iHeart Radio. <laughs> it's a, it's a That's who owned them now. Same thing, yeah. yeah that was my, that was my uh, bit. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> corporate radio bit. Yeah. Because it was too subtle. I thought taking, it was... Taking the piss out of corporate radio. Well, I thought I like it was... bits that just sound like mistakes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, then you... Right. Well, that's sorry, you we've been Dave working with Dave for a really long time. <laughs> well, I, get, I deal with that a lot. I sort of dry irony. Some people just get mad and yeah. think they're serious. I, get, I do a lot of memes on Reddit, and people uh, just call me autistic because they don't get the irony. <laughs> so I, I have two or three times a day. So I, I understand. Anyway, let's carry it. So basically, the album is narrati- uh, narrated by a DJ named Will O' The Wisp, voiced by horror author Stephen King. Oh, God. Oh, they really, yeah. they really got the talent. Uh, that guy's known for his good talking. And uh, he's using his last hour on the air before the takeover to play the music of the band Hyrofan, which is what Shooter Jennings named his backing band for the album. And uh, if you think this sounds far-fetched, listen to this, okay? Jennings and the band were going to perform the album live during a release party at the Viper Room in Los Angeles on March 3rd, 2010. But they had to cancel it due to what I'm sure was a ban by the government, although the official reason given was lack of interest. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, What a dumb plot. I listen. I listen to a few more of the songs, and uh, some of them are, are clearly not uh, written for the uh, concept. They're just songs that Shooter Jennings happened to have in his back pocket. Well, when you're as prolific as Shooter Jennings, yeah. you gotta yeah. don't want to leave any he gems. Has fairly, he has a, a he fair is, number of releases. I, I was familiar with his name, and not just because of who his dad was. Yeah, yeah, he's he's Waylon Jennings' son, of course, and and uh, Shooter's actual first name is Waylon. So at some point, for some reason, somebody decided to nickname him Shooter, which maybe it sounds like a cowboy shooting a gun thing, but in yeah. in, in most people's worlds, that's the kind of name where your dumbass friends are going to tell a hilarious origin story to embarrass you in front of women. Well, he uh, Shooter named uh, nicknamed his son Blackjack Jennings, so I think <laughs> the stupid nickname is hereditary. <laughs> I, I was going to name my kid Blackjack Jennings now. <laughs> Just drop Huey. <laughs> your name is Blackjack Jennings. You can do that. You can give your kid any last name you want. Absolutely. Um, so I was in the Apple Store the other day, speaking of dumb kid's name, and this 30-something hipster turned his head and desperately yelled, Doctor! Doctor! <laughs> and I was like, is this, a, is this a medical emergency? And then, like, I was really thrown. Like, this guy needs a doctor. And then a four-year-old boy runs up to him. He named his son Doctor. <laughs> I wonder if his middle name was Dre. Oh Jesus! Christ. I thought I thought you, the story was going to go. He was going to sing a uh, bad case of loving you. <laughs> My point is, government, leave rock and roll alone. You need to ban white people from naming their kids. And I'm a guy who named their kids Junior and Lady Junior. <laughs> uh, anything else on this one, guys? Uh, uh, Shooter's first album came out in 2005. It was titled "Put the O Back in Country." It's a it's a, a cunt joke. Uh, <laughs> and uh, ah. he's uh, he's recorded pretty steadily, fairly prolifically since then. But uh, so far, he hasn't quite achieved the prominence of Hank Williams the Third. If you're gonna if you're gonna put those country kids uh, in competition with one another, well, maybe Blackjack will uh, come in. With I got high hopes Hank for Williams Blackjack III, Jennings <laughs> because it's the third one that really, yeah. Just hope rock and roll isn't banned, so he has a shot. Yeah. Good thing he's a country artist. What if he thought? What? What if he thought too much country was about math, and he 
Named it, put the RY back in country. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Sorry. It was about Count. the last thing. <laughs> yeah. Count, okay. All right. Uh, that's good. I like it. All right. This is Nine Inch Nails with Survivalism. Uh, from the album Year Zero. Uh, Trent Reznor's been recording his Nine Inch Nails since 1989. He's done the vast majority of that work well after he became uh, a, an alt-rock star with 1994, the Downward Spiral album. Uh, so in 2007, after the mainstream had largely stopped paying attention to him, he recorded a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed concept album called Year Zero. Uh, and this is the first single off of it. Tony, I'm going to throw it to you for yes. the plot. Here's the plot of Year Zero, and there's a lot of very specific dates referenced here. Oh, so that's uh, how you know it's history. Yeah. it's uh, Basically, it's set in the year 2022. That makes sense. Up. Which up. is now Year Zero, according yep. to the new totalitarian U.S. government, which seized power following a dirty bomb detonated in Hollywood in 2009 during the Grammys, which, uh, knowing what we know now, would have resulted in the premature death of Amy Winehouse. <laughs> Uh, the U.S. is now a Christian fundamentalist theocracy in which rock and roll has been outlawed. Also, a chemical called Pear Pin is distributed through the water supply that keeps the population apathetic. And uh, this, of course, is based on how we currently have a mind control drug, drug in our water called fluoride. Uh, hey, is, lay, I, lay off the info wars. Okay. They're fighting war. Well, listen, ever since uh. I heard about this, I've stopped drinking tap water and just to be safe, I've also stopped washing uh, my uh, ass. Yeah, the easiest way to deliver <laughs> yeah. my fluoride. Yeah. That's yeah. fluoride. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not worth the risk. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a pair of enormous spectral arms called the Presence come down out of the sky. The Presence says that if humans don't fix themselves, we'll wipe this place clean, like an ass. Yes, but no. <laughs> if you if you wash, if you wash. Yeah. Uh, but no one heeds its warning, and the human race is extinguished on February 10th, which, ironically, <laughs> is the birthday of... Uh, does anyone want to guess? I have I have two guesses. Go ahead. Alan Hale Sr., the father of Skipper from Gilligan's Island. No? Trent Reznor. Peter Allen. You're all wrong. It's Laura Dern. <laughs> <laughs> and go to famousbirthdays.org. <laughs> To see more info, list. yeah. That's, that's where people. I went to find Peter Allen and <laughs> well, Alan Hale Sr. I was focusing yeah. on the A's. Anyway, there's also a lot of uh, fine stars that were born there. That's good. Wow, star packed day. Yeah. So that that really there is only the beginning of the Year Zero project. Uh, the album was only one part of it. Uh, there was also a remix album and accompanying alternate reality game, which is something I assume the kids today are familiar with because I'm not sure. What playing it entails? It entails a video game that is not fun. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, that sounds about right. Uh, there was also a potential film or TV adaptation in the works that never ended up happening. I assume it still could. If anybody's out there, Hollywood, there's a wealth of story material. I feel like a Just lot of these are for you. Be, be that have that same story. There was a movie and book and play <laughs> yeah. deal, but yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah, he just never reason. got around to, to making it. A lot of multimedia extravaganzas in the works here. Something about investors not <laughs> wanting to have any... Uh, Couldn't get the money. It was weird. Yeah. Gov the government's banned terrible ideas. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they'll call it lack of interest, but you know uh, what it is. Yeah. I, I have a theory about these. This this, this go kind of goes with this, and I'll, I'll mm -hmm. spit it out right now about these these 
bard rock artists is that I think they get these grand ideas about the, why their music isn't selling and and they as they start to age and their mind immediately goes to the audience is just being controlled somehow <laughs> that if only i can break through it can't be me it's them <laughs> it's, it has to be that it has to be the record companies has to be the government has to be something else it can't just be my music because if you look at all these these usually come towards the tail end of all their careers anyways sorry that's my theory on these so with all that yeah that's uh <laughs> I think if we go through one by one, we'll probably be like. There's very few artists who were really in their primes when they did these. Absolutely not. <laughs> nobody's nobody's restricting their sound. Uh, so, in addition to all that other shit, uh, there was also a big promo campaign interwoven with the alternate reality game. Uh, they set up fake government websites. Uh, they cooked up a bunch of, according to Wikipedia, phone numbers, emails, videos, MP3s, murals, and other media. Uh, that would reveal Jesus. clues as to how to stop the government. Yeah. Create that uh, buzz. We need that now, Trent. Yeah. Uh, they really? Up phone numbers? Yeah. I got like, like you six, 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 six. <laughs> wow. Come up and go, hey, this is Trent Reznor <laughs> dialing Nine Inch Nail song. Here's uh, closer. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what they did, is he used this as a way to leak a new song from the album next. Like, uh, he played a show in Lisbon, Portugal, and left a flash drive in the bathroom stall, and it contained a new song uh, from the, uh, the the album that hadn't been released yet. Did he do that on purpose? Yes. It's okay. all... It was part of the game. It was part of the alternate okay. reality game. Because you don't, you don't accidentally leave your flash drive next to the shitter. Alt-advertising. Alt it's all because... It's all because they just can't... The record companies aren't selling their shit anymore. There was another stunt where he held a fake meeting of the alternate reality game's Art is Resistance underground group. Uh, real people showed up, and they got cell phones that told them where to go for what turned out to be a surprise Nine Inch Nails concert, <laughs> which was then in turn broken up by a fake SWAT team. Uh, given that it all takes place in 2007 or 2008, it's actually super sad. Yeah, like, I don't know what to make of all this. Yeah. It's got to be... It's like, hey, look at me. I'm an irrelevant rock star. You were crazy about 20 years ago. Let me take you on a treasure hunt for new music I made this year. <laughs> there might be a good chance. Our, uh, it's a scary treasure hunt. <laughs> Dustin, did you go to this? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Oh, he didn't you guys, you guys know how uh, like artists now will get together and have like their Back to the Future art show or their Ghostbusters art show or something like that. They're real popular for people to get together and sell those stuff. Uh, one of my friends and I decided to be great if we planned an art heist, kind of like the SWAT team busting in from the ceiling, and like like 17 seconds, like real amped up. But the whole bit was we like stop and like this is all fucking garbage. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> um, hey, that old pranking day from high school. School he uh, describes is not stopped. Yeah, still, still got it. Yeah. I'm gonna close with a little. I'm not gonna read this whole thing. It's fucking too much. <laughs> I'll just read a tiny bit of Trent Reznor's uh, concept for Year Zero. He says, "This record began as an experiment with noise on a laptop in a bus on tour somewhere. <sighs> that sound led to a daydream about the end of the world. That daydream stuck with me, and over time." revealed itself to be much more. 
God, what I wouldn't do for a million dollars in the bank and like a sense of grandeur. <laughs> and a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. I like Trent Reznor, but you know, your audience just got older. It wasn't the government. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's their fault they weren't into him anymore. Here's a fucking discovery. <laughs> this is the title track from Jefferson Airplane co-founder Paul Kantner's final solo album, <laughs> 1983's Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra. Was it an unexpected final solo album? I'm done with solo albums. <laughs> I think it just I'm turned finished. out to be that way. <laughs> I've said what I wanted to say, and I'm stepping away. Find me a band. So, Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra was the nick. Originally, the, that phrase was the nickname for the group of San Francisco psychedelic hippie musicians <laughs> who played yacht rock style on all each other's records. Not yacht rock no, music. Not rock music. They, they, in, in the style of the the, the Southern California style. studio yeah. clicks. Uh, Careful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I phrased that better. Grateful uh, Dead is Yacht Rock. Yes, yes, the so. internet might burn. <laughs> Our internet might burn. Oh, boy. Uh, so Paul had already written a sci-fi concept album in 1970 called Blows Against the Empire, where the plot revolved around a band based on him and his friends stealing a government starship. Yes, that was the genesis of the Jefferson Starship name. Uh, to go start a hippie rock commune on a fresh new planet. And that album was actually nominated for a Hugo Award, which are the Sci-Fi Awards, for Best Dramatic Presentation. <laughs> hey, boy, that, that would not go well. Hey, let's go to another planet. We'll survive on peace and love. And they got the spaceship, and they all asphyxiate right away. <laughs> what's what's this spaceship hippies. made out of? Out of mud? <laughs> and love. <laughs> the stuff we had it lying around. It runs on peace, man. And weed. God, I can't believe this loser only got a Hugo Award instead of a Channing New York Award for Best Music. <laughs> now, this was only nominated. You oh, won. Oh, right. Uh, so that's the, that's the genesis. So, so 13 years after that album, Paul decided to write a sequel, this time about a different band, also based on him and his friends, who are also called the Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra. Uh, it's supposed to be a sequel to the first. It's subtitled The Empire Blows Back, which is also going to be the title of my first leaked sex tape. And that album was... This, this first! Yeah. It's already out. Oh, It's shit. called Steve Fucks a Girl, and I put it out like a couple years Steve ago. Steve Fucks a Girl and he likes it. No, it's just called... a cake hunt. <laughs> yeah. Steve Fucks a Girl. It's out, so it's the name of your second leaked sex tape. Oh, okay. And, All right, good, and good. The Empire Blows Back? Yes. Who's The Empire? I don't know. Okay, it's going to be a weird test. Hasn't been cast yet. Oh. It's getting blown by a chick in a Darth Vader mask. Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, the Umpire Blows Back would probably be about a poorly called Cubs game. Am I right, Steve? Yeah. Okay, sorry. You, you gotta, really you gotta get the strike no, zone good. set. Okay, thank Cubs. you so much. It's Steve, so, Steve's birthday. Or, this, uh, recording this. this album was supposed to be a musical companion to the novel that explained the whole story, but uh, it wasn't finished in time for the record release, so Paul just wrote up an insert for the album. But, uh, Tony, uh, I'm going to throw the, yes. the plot line of the novel to you now. Yes. Okay. So, uh, the story is that a rock band develops telepathic amplification technology, hmm. and the U.S. government tries to steal it to use in the Cold War. 
There was a thing in 1983, yeah. Cold War. The band flees to the Australian outback and uh, joins a secret self-sufficient commune of 1,500 people. But the government tracks them down, so the telepathic children form a telepathic shield around the commune. As one does. And everybody somehow escapes into outer space. Once again. Now, taking a rocket to form yeah. a, uh, to form a commune on a new planet. Now, Steve mentioned uh, uh, the novel. Um, now, the thing is, in this case, Paul Kantner actually did write the entire novel. It's five hundred. Oh, he did finish it. Yes, it's yeah. five hundred pages long, and he published it on uh, his website. <laughs> uh, would you guys mind if I read you just the opening paragraph? Please, Please do. Okay. Uh -uh. And, and you know why it, you know it's a sci-fi novel? Is because it was a self-sufficient commune. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you need a banker. So you need a banker. Here is the beginning of the excerpt from the beginning, very beginning of the novel. This is the first line. Billy Horn lifted the arm off of the record mid-track with an audible scratch. The cathedral-like rock and roll that rang the walls echoed, then disappeared, sucked into a silence that filled the room like a sponge. Billy picked up a black Fender Stratocaster and plugged it into a Mesa Boogie amplifier. Paul Kantner uses Fender Stratocasters and makes the Boogie amplifiers exclusively. He switched the amp on, and as it warmed, he picked up the TV remote control and brought the set to life. That's spelled V-V-V-Z-Z-H-H-T-T-T. He switched channels. And this last next one is shorter. He only puts one T at the end of VVZZHHT. <laughs> and then there's a quick one, which is VVZZHT. Uh, yeah. Not, the last one had two H's. This one only has one H and one T. <laughs> Nothing satisfied. This next one. 30 channels and nothing. 30 channels and nothing fucking on. Billy remarked caustically. Listen, you had me at audible scratch. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a comedy noise. At, <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Tony was looking up the illustrations that Paul Cantor did. Self-illustrated his the novel. own illustrations, and we couldn't stop laughing because they looked like they were fucking done by Beavis and Butthead. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's I, like a dude busting through a window, and the guy's got uh, like a katana, katana blade and a poster of a tiger on his bedroom wall. <laughs> He's holding the guitar with a little doobie. Oh, it's it really is an illustration that would be on like on the on the on the grocery bag cover of a junior high yeah. textbook. Yeah, like when you're when you're 13, if you had a girl in your room and she saw what you were drawing when you're 10, you'd kind of kick it under the bed because you'd be embarrassed. And that is better than the illustrations he did for this book. And you can buy it according to the website on a CD-ROM, which oh. may, may be a little bit out of date. It, uh, it the commune like a, is still making this. Yeah, but it is available on Paul Kantner's website. I'm see on if CD I can get Rob. you uh, some of that original art for your next birthday. Thanks very much. Uh, um, I. I think we've been through this song once already, and we're about to get through it a second time. Uh, anything I'll, else? I'll, I'll just throw out a couple quick details about what else is on this album. It's gonna be a lot. Uh, there's a song from there's a, a song from 1971, 12 years before the album was released, that Cantor uh, co-wrote with Jerry Garcia called "The Mountain Song," which means that there was a plot point in the uh, opera where the band goes up on a mountain. <laughs> yeah. 
um, another thing that happens is Paul's daughter China Kantner sings on two songs she grew up to be, to be an MTV VJ and was also the romantic interest in me and my friend's favorite shitty stoner comedy The Stoned Age she also played uh, Wilson's niece on Home Improvement oh and I lo- wait I love this fun fact about China she was 15 when she started VJing it was 1987 and that was when her mom Grace Slick her band Starship was uh, was ha- having hits on MTV still so I'm surprised that the universe didn't implode because it's like hi I'm I'm China Cantor an MTV VJ the absolute coolest job anyone can have in 1987 and here's a video by my mom <laughs> it's a weird thing I want to take us out with a quick uh, lyric from the second song of this album she's a telepath here we go she is a telepath I want her autograph she's just like you just like me but she's a telepath <laughs> That's that AAA rhyme scheme that Brian Adams made so famous. <laughs> and uh, and the, the man coog with small town. Yeah. <laughs> There's no love like your love. No other could give more love. Seven. Oh, here's another one. Uh, I did let one song from one of those musical adaptations of 1984 sneak onto this countdown. This is Yes keyboardist Rick Wakeman with guest singer Shaka Khan, Together at Last. (laughs) I I had to include this because, number one, when we did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame episode, I didn't know Shaka Khan's back catalog well enough to offer an informed opinion on her candidacy. And after this song, she never deserves to get in. The Queen of Funk wasn't enough. The title of Queen of Funk, not enough, but he found this song. The thing is, if if you had told me Rick Wakeman from Yes had one of these songs, I would have said, of course. But the Shaka Khan thing really surprised me. Yeah, that's what throws you for a loop. She kind of had a sci-fi thing going on. Yeah, big hair. Yeah, Rufus, they wore a lot of shiny clothes. Shiny, pointy shoulder things? I think you're thinking of LaBelle. Am I thinking of LaBelle? Shit, see? I, I, again, I I didn't know enough of her catalog. I'm sure she wore something shiny at some point. Uh, So yeah, we we need to know more of her catalog. So I I put a deep cut of hers in the show. And the other reason I wanted to put it in here is this song is fucking nuts. Yeah, it was great to hear Shaka Khan and, and not just another song by a long-haired white dude. And I imagine her walking into the studio looking at, at the lyrics and being a good sport about this dorky nonsense she yeah, has to sing like, about. Right. If you listen closely to the lyrics of the song, you'll notice uh, the line she delivers with the most emotion is, I'd love to know what it means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she has a career at this point. Yeah, She has yeah. no idea what these guys are. Yeah, paranoid this was, assholes this was during about. her prime. Not during Rick, Rick no. Wakeman's no. prime, no. but it was during Shaka Khan's. Yes. Prime. Now, what's this guy? He's a legend. He's like, he's a. Is he? Because this is. In Prague circles, just, Rick Wakeman is yeah, a legend. Absolutely. Just yeah. go, Shaka. Just go. Ah, jeez. All right. So, if this album is based on Orwell's actual 1984, can we say truly that rock and roll has been outlawed? I mean, after all, the government in that book did compose songs for the entertainment of the proles, even if it was written before rock and roll existed. So we can't definitively say based on Rick Wakeman's treatment, but... I defy you to listen to this piece of music and not conclude that it comes from a world where rock and roll must have been outlawed. Yeah, it's funk music. Well, rock it's, and roll, no. It's r- funk that isn't quite funky. Yeah. It's, it's weird. a reasonable facsimile of funk. But this song? Are you guys talking about this song? Yeah. As... <laughs> That's a, pretty funky. Really funky. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's, well, it's if you're using the definition of funky that it stinks, 
This is funky for Rick Wakeman. Here's <laughs> the original ter- the yeah. definition of funky. Um, uh, I also want to note there are no robots at all in the book 1984. This song is called Robot Man. <laughs> if you listen, if you listen closely to the lyrics, Robot Man is actually just more of a metaphor for humans who can't feel anything more yeah, anymore. But all this boopy synth stuff makes it sound like they're trying to add literal Robot Man to the plot of the story. Can't you just define Robot Man by saying robot? No, yeah. because, no they're because they're men, man. Oh, so they're, they're not buying my albums. I'm gonna wake up all those robot men. So they think of my... a robotic man. Uh, yeah, <laughs> an android. Those an automatons. Android. Robot women or real women aren't buying Yes albums anyway. <laughs> uh, there's there's another big name involved with this project. Uh, lyrics were written by Tim Rice on this album. He was the uh, longtime collaborator of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Who Sir, they together brought the rock opera to Broadway. Yeah, uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Superstar, Superstar and uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, the mm-hmm. Vita. Yep, uh, Rice also wrote the lyrics for the Disney films Aladdin and the Ro- the Lion King. He is a wealthy man. I looked it up. Fifteenth richest uh, musician in England. I think. Wow. Okay. Hey, didn't uh, didn't Rick Wakeman bring uh, uh, was it Camelot on Ice? <laughs> Isn't that him? Oh, Is he yeah. the guy that did the album? No, you're, you're thinking of uh, Steve's third leaked sex video. <laughs> Which is the one that did the third? <laughs> and you're pronouncing that first word wrong. There's come a lot on ice. <laughs> oh, thank you, Steve. Steve. <laughs> <sighs> you think I'm not going to hype the title of my own sex video, Hunter? I, I got to get it out there. got to get those clicks. people's heads. Is it okay if I wish you a happy birthday? Yeah. On happy birthday. Uh, you already did. Thank you. You already I know, but, it, but I feel like we glossed We're over to get to the robot man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to say about robot man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a perfect genre to do on my birthday because it's amazing. Uh, here is Deltron 3030 with the song Positive Contact. This song, or I should say this album, Deltron 3030, is in a dystopian future in which rap has been outlawed. And rap, of course, counts as rock and roll because there are rappers in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, this is the project that revived Del the Funky Homo Sapiens' career in the late 90s uh, it helped bring weird underground hip-hop back to prominence after the uh, the gangsta trend started to play itself out but here's an argument in a world where rap is outlawed wouldn't a group of people still performing rap in a way be gangsta oh absolutely they're keeping they're keeping the street level vibe of the music just in an intergalactic kind of sense can't escape gangster rap you know I think Del the funky hopeless homo sapien is uh, becoming the new Sammy Hagar of our podcast he's been this you is think a, he's that thank bad? God. <laughs> hey, fuck you. Hager's awesome. He is awesome. He's, this is a... Uh, Solo, absolutely. This is his second show this season. Mm. With hey. Del the Funky Homo Sapien? Yeah. That's the third time we've brought him third, Dave. Third overall. Dave. Second, second this, this season. One. Okay, hey, you have a choice of two dudes giving you blowjobs, okay? Like at the same time? I'll, no, uh, no, yes. no. You I'll say choose, yes. You have to choose which dude. You've got uh, Sammy Hagar, but it's real toothy, mm-hmm. or you got Jimmy Buffett, but it's smooth and wonderful. Hagar. 100%. Toothy Hagar? Hagar? Yeah. Okay. Buffett will put a finger in your ass. 
<laughs> it's true. He wrote a song about it. Yeah. No, he knows. He knows how I feel. <laughs> he wrote a, his entire catalog is about putting a finger in yeah, your ass. Yeah, finger in the wet spot. I think. Yeah. I, no, I, I'd, I'd sooner get a couple shovels and a flashlight and see what Peter Allen's up to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fun fact, Steve. <laughs> All right. Uh, one in the coconut. Ever. Uh, so, in addition to Dell, Deltron 3030 includes producer Dan the Automator, who oversaw a lot of interesting uh, underground hip-hop projects in the late 90s, including Cool Keith's legendary Dr. Octagon album. Uh, they also have turntablist Kid Koala, and there is a vocal cameo by Blur singer Damon Albarn, foreshadowing his reteaming with Dell and Dan in the Gorillas. I didn't know that Dell the Funky Homo Sapien was in Gorillas. Yeah, he's the one who does the rap on their big hit single. Yeah, oh, that he, was, he only like did a couple songs, and yeah, Clint Eastwood was the big one, oh, so that's yeah. why. Did he change his name to Dell the Funky Gorilla Gorilla? No, it was That's like a little binomial Del- nomenclature uh, joke for you oh, guys. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, was it's it a scientific Deltron term. Deltron 3000 or whatever? Didn't we just say it? I wasn't listening. Don't worry about it. Cool. I, it was just a joke. I was getting a bottle opener. Yeah. All right, we haven't been through the plot yet. Tony, here's the plot. The plot of this album uh, is that it's the year 3030, and rap has been outlawed by the intergalactic... Yeah, rap! Now that's something. Intergalactic, evil intergalactic corporations that now rule the universe. But there is an underground subculture of interstellar rap battles. And Dell's character, Deltron Zero, goes to represent Earth and defeats all his rap battle opponents to become the Galactic Rhyme Federation champion. However, when Deltron returns to Earth, he is captured and his memory is wiped clean by the evil, corrupt corporations. And uh, I just want to be clear, these are the evil corporations, <laughs> not the good ones like Activision, who licensed this music for their game, Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX. I <laughs> uh, like the Galactic oh, Rhyme... Federation champion, the, the Griff, the GRF champ, the Griff. That story sounds like it uh, should be a movie called Eight Light Year. You get it? I got it. Okay, I thank got you. it too. Um, so where, where, hold on, where does this live on the timeline of hip hoppers adopting futuristic personas? Does anybody well, know I the mean, answer? Afri- to that? Africa Bambata was kind of the first one to do that. Was he rapping? In, like 1980? He would. No, he was more like the behind the scenes it's, guy. I it's think. the middle. Is the middle of it? it? Yeah, it's right in the middle. Okay, cool. Hey, Tony, this is when you're supposed to slap your knee. I'm looking up the lyrics to Lose Yourself to do a spoof of 8 Mile Up Space. (laughs) I picked up the slack. Oh, Ooh, this is epic. Yeah, this is this Tangerine Dream? Yeah. Are you doing a song from? Yeah, it's coming from a movie. risky business. Welcome to Germany. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, so almost ten years ago, this will eventually come in. I had the greatest movie experience of my life when I went to the New Beverly Cinemas at midnight to finally catch a screening of the Vanilla Ice Extravaganza, Cool as Ice. This is the title track, Cool as Ice. Everybody get loose. Which everyone does, and everyone did at the New Beverly. It was wonderful. Yeah, and this is a movie about a world where rap should be outlawed. (laughs) 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 The 
The movie opens with essentially the song's music video with with V Ice rapping while model Naomi Campbell does the CNC Music Factory vocals. Oh. Uh, video vixen Bobby Bobby Brown is also there to dance and give Nilla her number at the end. Mm. That's uh, the Bobby Brown from Cherry Pie, the war video, right? Okay. Yep. Uh, it's they, they originally cast Bobby Brown. They said, "Give me Bobby Brown." He showed up on set. <laughs> they shot the scene, but yeah. then they cut it out of the movie. Uh, she and yeah, so it's an incredible start. Uh, then his uh, dance rap biker crew they take off, but they they eventually break down in what looks like Burbank, but it's actually Glendora. Yeah, I looked up on IMDb. I think the house, the main house, is in Glendora. Yeah, and somehow he ends up at this mechanic shop at this house that totally fits their neon Keith Haring aesthetic. It's perfect. Yo 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 yo! Check out that crazy whack house. That's the line I remember from the movie. I saw the movie once. In in the theater when it came out, uh, they break amazing. down. That's they break down in front of an unusual house. Is that how he got his home makeover show? Does like does he repeat no, that as a no, catchphrase? No. On it? Well, okay. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> that'd be good though. I, I doubt. Yo yo yo! Check out that whack house. I guarantee nobody involved in his home makeover show had seen Cool of Ice. Cool as ice. <laughs> I nobody, guarantee it. Nobody involved with green lighting it certainly. Yeah. Had. <laughs> so there's so many moments of insanity in this movie from. <clears throat> From impressing a, go- a girl from throwing her from a horse to sneaking into her bedroom and shoving ice down her throat. Wait, uh, he shoves literal ice? Yes. Or, okay, not but it's, it's a but metaphor. It's a metaphor. Okay. Uh, there's, there's random panted dancing shots and fast-forward motion family times, and then there's shirtless sexy times in a desert construction site. Yeah, it's like right out of Teen Witch. Yeah. Yo, 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 watch me build this crazy whack house! I don't know how to accurately <laughs> pin this movie except to say it's like an Elvis movie on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. I have, like, a few memories of this movie, and one of them is, like, an unnecessary motorcycle jump that, that he uses to scare the girl off the horse. That's when he throws it off the and, and then he gets mad he said, when he, she gets yeah. mad at him. But he used the line, you need to lose the hero. Use, lose oh. the zero and get, get with, with the, the hero. hero. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, that that's comes a little later. From that. Yeah. Uh, he's just outside dancing, and then he sees a Corvette pull up to the girl who he threw off the horse and he wants to just go say hi and then he he insults uh, her lose loses ear get with the yeah, hero. He I'm not I'm not dating you Vanilla Ice she loves it she loved it yeah I know it was great okay so here's uh, some fun facts about this movie uh, it was clearly greenlit while Ice was hot but by the time it was released everybody hated him and it grossed 1.2 million out of three, six, three weeks had gone by <laughs> six million dollar budget <laughs> Naomi Campbell is credited as singing but I don't buy that at all she did release an album in 1995 I listen to it, but she does not display the level of talent that these background singers are displaying. No way. Uh, this song is uh, most of, and most of Ice's stuff was produced by Gail Sky King, who was a female DJ known for dance remixes and club music. The cinematographer was Janusz Kaminski, who was best known for working with Steven Spielberg and winning two Academy Awards for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> and it was directed by. <laughs> oh, he's he's good at shooting bloody messes. <laughs> the, it was and it was directed uh, by music video and commercial director David Kellogg, who made music videos for Michael Jackson and also CNC Music Factory, uh, amongst a lot more. Um, he would go on to direct one other movie, and that's 1999's Inspector Gadget. I want to tell my story of working with the DP on this movie. 
I was so excited. I had lunch across from him one day, and I brought up Cool as Ice. And he just looked at me like I was the biggest asshole in the fucking world. And I took it as, how dare you talk to me, you lowly assistant location manager. I'm the director of photography on a $100 million movie. Turns out, I had misremembered. <laughs> and I wasn't oh, talking to the DP of uh, Cool as Ice. I was talking to the DP of Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> Dave's factual mind in action in the real world. See, Dave, usually when you confuse two things in your head, the words are somewhat similar to yeah. one another. No, yeah. I or the, really, or the look I of really the like Joe versus similar. the Volcano. I thought Cool as Ice was a piece of yeah. shit. Uh, but he won two Academy Awards. I, I just want to say to wrap this up. As I said, this was the most fun I ever had in a movie theater. I watched it by myself. Didn't have nearly as, mu- uh, as much fun. Um, it's weird to say this, but really, movies are made to be seen with others, especially comedies, mm-hmm. good comedies, and uh, which are the movies we don't see anymore. They're, they don't make any money, but uh, so go see those. But make sure if Cool as Ice ever comes to your town, check the papers daily. Go see it; it's amazing. No oh, fucking shit. <laughs> We got a lot to get through in political. Today's bumper yeah. sent in by George Flanagan. Thank you, George. Uh, he said, Hey, guys. I ended up harassing me band flying pace into doing some bumpers for the show. Oi! It actually turned into a real fun writing exercise for us. So maybe now we'll just transition into writing numeral based micro songs exclusively. Oh, jolly oh, that good. George. That's a funny joke. I'll be sending them after this email via WeTransfer. He did. Oh, we. Uh, it was a small alert. transfer yeah. because of where he's I from. Like I hope we make the cut on a future episode. Thanks for fighting the smooth fight. He, they making a cut on an episode about the future, about, and it's about fighting a fight. Uh, his Twitter is at Dad Jokes George, uh, and I'd like to plug his band Flying Pace, FlyingPace.bandcamp.com, and I believe he is British. That's why I did a, an excellent British accent. Yeah, yeah it was excellent. It was barely Australian. Um, we're gonna go to the and be on stage with the Yacht Rock Review on the 11th. We're gonna make March some, 11th, yeah. March 11th uh, at the Roxy the in Roxy. Los Angeles. Uh, so please come and see us and go to see the Yacht Rock Review. Though, yeah, go see fun. the Yacht Rock it, Review. Yeah, and, and then come see us act like assholes. Yeah, and we uh, might do something entertaining, but probably not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, might well, just show up. Don't pin your night on what we do. Yeah, what pin, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's about that. Um, keep your radio tuned all day long on March 15th to NPR so you can hear us on World, uh, Cafe. World Cafe. Dave and I, were they interview us. They're surprised at how serious we are about your songs <laughs> being yacht and yacht. It's a great interview. Yeah. I wouldn't call it great. It is, it is, it is an interview. We'll see, how they, we'll see how they cut it. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm going to be on a new podcast on March 2nd and March 9th called One Bourbon, One Shard, and One Beer where uh, people play music and talk about what drinks they should be paired with. Who hosts that? Uh, Chris Kern from uh, Paseo Wine Club. Mm, very and, good. And uh, you can find it wherever podcasts are sold. Um, the internet. Go to YachtRock.com. Check out our, our merch booth. You can buy a t-shirt, some Gene Mead buttons. I hope, maybe we'll have some other stuff on by the time this airs. Maybe eh, not. Maybe we'll do some tote bags. I think tote bags are next I in think line. Tote bags My wife go. designed a really awesome yeah. season one uh, design mm-hmm. that you're all going to want to get. Yeah, it's great. Um, and uh, 
Eric Heelan. You go to Captain's blog, you see a, a piece by Eric Heelan, and it's probably it's probably pronounced something else. He told me how to pronounce it, and I feel like it's not Heelan, but Eric Heelan, he wrote a thing on Ark Rock, which is like Christian yacht rock, and it, it's legit, and he did a great job writing about it, and there's some great examples. So there's like a three-part article about Ark Rock. I think you should check out if you love Jesus. Uh, Patreon. Still interesting. Patreon nickname shoutouts. JD, why don't you do the first two? I gave you, I gave you a couple options. Okay. Um. Okay, so either Chris Hunter or Chris. This guy can't. Oh, Chris. Oh, Chris Hunter stir. Or Chris. This guy can't get enough Night Ranger stir. You didn't have to read both. I was giving you the option. Oh, I like Hunter stir. That was my original one. Okay, so I'll just uh. Do this next one. Oh, yeah. John, hey, did you guys know my dad designed albums for the Beatles and Jimmy Buffett? Kosh. Yeah, there it is. We've gotten a million emails from this guy telling us his dad's designed uh, album covers for the Beatles and Jimmy Buffett. And it's he's true. very proud of his dad. And yeah. congratulations. As he should be. Elder and his Kosh. alternate nickname is Dude Pubes. Yeah. Yeah, Dude Pubes Kosh. <laughs> uh, how about... Uh, how- I'll do the next one. Uh, Johnny, get your buns, Warren. <laughs> I really like that one. Okay. Uh, Karen, the pendulum, and the piddleman. Ooh, literary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, you, why don't you do the next one? All right. We got Mark, Dark Shark Bark Pritchard. Oh, shit. Oh, Ocean City Defender, once again, did not give us a long enough... Fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, we've got Lee, annually Ann. <laughs> well, I think her 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 last name's not Anne, oh. but in the but in our Patreon it was just Leanne, so her name oh, yeah. is annually. Mm. Yeah, and and then uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, old Timothy keeping him pregnant, Malcolm. Yeah, for some reason he's paying us to do a bunch of work for us. <laughs> and uh, I'd also like to plug the uh, Tony Zaret Hunter Stare rock opera Roboticus. Look for it at Channel One Hundred One New York. Well, I, and, I, <laughs> and I'd like to I'd like to say that I used exclusively B fifty two guitars. And B, Raven, BC Rich. BC Rich. What did I say? B fifty two. Oh no, my my amp. Was... I'm using a guitar now, <laughs> exclusively. BC Rich Warlock guitar and. Uh, B-52 Raven amplifiers, exclusively. It's my Raven amplifier! All right. Uh, oh, good. I just want to say, first off, I want to, I want to apologize for making us listen to Rush. Can we rush through this one? Uh, I like probably. Rush. This is. Yeah, uh, I like Rush too. I like Rush. I don't like this song though. Yeah, well, twenty one twelve. Yeah, is a little yeah, hard to get. This, this, this is yeah. a challenge. More about, moving about pictures. About seven people years here. ago, I kind of had a change of heart on Rush, and I thought, I don't, I don't hate these guys. This is kind of interesting. I kind of dig this. This song's kind of making me change my mind back, though. <laughs> there's a couple rocking sections in this song. Yeah, sure. It's, there's a couple rocking a sections co- in this 20-minute sidelong <laughs> prog yeah. rock suite. There's a couple rocking sections in this in this in song. It's not a good defense of this song. <laughs> Uh, so 2112 is one of the first songs that comes up when you're doing even basic research on what songs are true dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. It can't be avoided. Uh, 
Um, if this is a world where rock and roll is outlawed, it appears that Russia is abiding by the law. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, would you do the people sure. a favor and tell us what the plot of 2112 is? Well, as most of your listeners could probably tell already just by these uh, sonorous opening notes, uh, <laughs> the plot of 2112 is inspired by an Ayn Rand novella. Uh, called Anthem, uh, which I have never I've read. I've never read it. You know, no. But uh, anyway, here's the uh, the story. Uh, after the overture, which we're hearing right now, uh, we meet the protagonist, who is named uh, the protagonist. Deep. Wow. <laughs> and what's the lead character's name, Hunter, in uh, the Kiss Rock Opera? Uh, not. This is from what, music, music from the Elder. Yeah. It's uh, something. It's oh, uh, the boy. The boy. Yeah. The boy. So. Obviously, Obviously, they learned from this. By, yeah. Yeah. Prince is the kid in Purple Rain. Oh, yeah. A lot of people yeah. get, get uh, a lot of musicians get uh, lazy about right. their lead characters' names when they try to do opuses. They try to make it so generic that anybody can identify like with They're it. creative enough to come up with, uh, who you'll hear about in a minute, uh, the priests of the Temple of Syrinx, oh, which is cool. cool, and they couldn't even come up with a name yeah. for the protagonist. You know I, what I wish this was about, what, what, the, what this taught me? How to correctly pronounce Ayn Rand's name. Yeah. I didn't look it up. It's Ayn Rand. Ayn. Yeah, it's Ayn Rand. I, I, I wish they would have sang a song about that, because that would have been helpful. I'd rather talk about something else. <laughs> so let's get back to this discuss, uh, summary here. So um, the protagonist lives in a dictatorship of these called the Solar Federation. Everything is run by, the, as I said, the priests of the temples of Syrinx, who control all information through a collection of computers. Ooh. <laughs> Multiple. Yeah, I mean, back then, to have more than one computer was exciting. I mean, only the government <laughs> could have something like that. Um, so anyway, one day, the protagonist goes behind a waterfall. <laughs> that happens. Uh, oh, just like in The Legend of Zelda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And he finds something, and uh, here's the here's a, I'll hear just the lyrics uh, right before that. When he finds something, what can this strange device be? When I touch it, it gives forth a sound. It's got wires that vibrate and give music. What can this thing be that I found? That's right. He's discovered a loom. Oh. <laughs> What no. a great topic for rock. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a guitar. What a uh, oh. yeah. These people like make rock and roll for a living. They're millionaires on rock and roll, and that's how they describe discovering a guitar? <laughs> Have they never played a guitar before? It's, it's, it's insane Yeah. How, how these people that have made millions expressing themselves can't express themselves when they talk about what they do. Right. They're play the protagonist finds a thing with wires that make sounds. <laughs> I, I mean, it's so basic. This is what happens when you're making lyricist is the drummer. Uh, <laughs> just, well, just want to point that out. I don't know. What about... Uh, just read your... Okay. <laughs> anyway, Genesis. Anyway. Uh, so what does he, he do with the guitar? He learns, he learns how to play the guitar and performs his music for the priests. But they don't want his individualistic rock music, so they destroy his guitar. The protagonist wanders home and has a vision of how great art used to be before the Federation, thanks to individualism. And that the elder race who left our planets long ago intend to return and destroy the temples. Wait, hold on. Yeah. So, in Ayn Rand's Paradise, are all bands one dude? 
Boy, I just don't know anything about Ayn Rand. I never will learn. Yeah, you mean I don't like want the to. guy with the drums and the cymbals and the. Because they're uh, basically uh, objectivists, because there can only be one person yeah, that really does exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, in Ayn Rand's paradise, everybody's a selfish prick who doesn't give a fuck about anybody except right. themselves. And they're being held back by people that want to help but yeah, collaborate. By, by bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. by yeah. artists. Yeah, bands are collectivists. Yeah, so they're immoral. I'm beginning to think these guys in Rush aren't geniuses. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So he has this vision. Right, so I'll just give you the... The elder race is going to come back and destroy the temple. But uh, (laughs) anyway, the the priests don't go for it. The priests don't like him. So the protagonist kills himself. But good news. I'm in Rush? (laughs) Oh, no. Here's the good news, though. After he kills himself in the lyrics, there's a long instrumental section, and then more singing comes in to announce that the elders are back and in control of the Solar Federation, and presumably, presumably have restored the right to work. Oh, what a By yourself to kill himself. Yeah, he, he had a vision of how they were coming back, and he killed himself anyway. Uh, uh, this is a vision of somebody who spends a lot of times by themselves practicing their instrument, <laughs> and they're not actually in a band. And adding adding pieces to your drum set for no apparent reason. <laughs> I'll show them. They, you know, the saddest thing is the Randians won. They're running the country right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Ayn Rand basically, she's best known for convincing uh, a majority of our wealthy capitalist elites that they are America's true heroes. The industrialists. And deserve every bit of everything they get. And that there is no worse problem in our society than taxation. And they won. Do you know that right now, uh, or last year, uh, 62 men had as much wealth as the bottom half of the world population? Uh, right now, according to Oxfam, that's down to six. Six men have more wealth than ha- the bottom poorest half oh, well, of the population. Oh, well, there are heroes then. And if that's not depressing enough, we're still listening to the self-indulgent prog rock of Rush. <laughs> and, and good news, guys. We don't have to rush through this song because this is only a third of the way through. Uh-huh. We're at seven minutes. <laughs> Let's... You know, normally it's good music that makes me want to go out and start a band, but this one's like, we should start a band because something's really wrong here. <laughs> I think he's... Did you just figure it out, Tony? No, I just, uh, I thought the bumper was the part where he goes to the waterfall. Here's the guitar. (laughs) Here's where he gets the guitar. Actually, in listening to to that song, I was like, oh, we moved on to the next song. Joe's guitar sounds, Joe's garage sounds like this, but it was still the Rush song. Uh, Yeah, this is Frank Zappa, Joe's Garage. Uh, It's he he narrates this whole album. Frank Zappa does as uh, his creepy voice. Putting through a megaphone. Uh, there's a character he calls the central scrutinizer. I think it was a megaphone. Yeah. He's the central scrutinizer uh, who narrates the whole triple album of Joe's Garage. Joe's Garage is one of the definitive dystopian future in rock and roll has been outlawed concept albums. Uh, and like our previous selection, it comes from a more uh, libertarian perspective. Although Zappa doesn't identify with that label as much as certain members of Rush. Uh, Tony, do you want to take away the plot yes. of Joe's Garage? The plot of Joe's Garage follows a rock musician named Joe who started out. Uh, Checks out. Checks out, yeah. He starts uh, out. Where, where, where did he go? What did he do? He played music in his garage. Ah! 
His band gets popular enough to go on tour. His girlfriend becomes a nymphomaniac groupie. Nymphomaniac is a woman that enjoys to have sex. Okay. In the 70s, though, that was considered they, insane, I guess. Yeah, they thought, they thought that was an actual clinical condition in the 70s. Uh, anyway, he's leaving Joe to catch what was then called venereal disease. <laughs> Jack-in-the-box cashier. To get over this, Joe joins L. Ron Hoover's First Church of Appliantology <laughs> for his diagnosis. Some deep satire. <laughs> for his diagnosis as a latent appliance fetishist and kills a robot with hard sex. He is arrested for not being able to pay for it. And also, the government doesn't approve of rock music anyway, so they send him to a jail filled with musicians and record executives. <laughs> Joe gets gang-banged in his rear hole by a bunch of record executives in, as I say, the type of tremendously subtle metaphor that Frank Zappa was known for. <laughs> uh, he gets out of jail a broken and shattered man, and now that there are no more musicians, he can only play his guitar in his mind and ends up working at a muffin factory or some shit. Uh, now listen to this, Hunter. This is what you call Sonic. Yeah. Frank Zappa really pushed the envelope. Yeah. You have no idea what's going to happen in this song. But that's heart. It's a great little picture of what it's like to be in a low-stakes brain. And that's exactly what Sonic means. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's a great video online. I suggest everybody check it out. It's Frank Zappa on the Steve Allen show I in 1963 this. playing a bicycle. <laughs> and it's, you know, just like blowing in the end of it and, you know, playing the spokes. It's amazing how long they were able to stretch yeah, it out. It's like, it's like an 11-minute video. Yeah. From 63? Yeah. yeah. And awesome. you, can, you can start to see his, like, dark sarcasm and, mm -hmm. like, humor coming through. And, and Steve, Steve Allen's, Allen's quips. Trying to make those 1960s jokes like, yeah, this is a great thing. You can ride your band to work. You know, like, yeah. those 1960s jokes. But it's, it's incredible. Like, I recommend checking it out. Not like the 1970s jokes, like this song. Like, don't fool yourself, girl, it's going right up your poop chute. Yeah. That was off a different album. Yeah, but still That's 70s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same general era. There's a lot of sexual fetishes in his songs. Yeah. Uh, really, without if, there, if, if this album did not have the central scrutinizer voice coming out between songs, there really wouldn't be that much of a totalitarian vibe to this story at all. Uh, Joe doesn't even get arrested, really, for playing rock music. He gets arrested because he, he fucks a robot too hard and breaks it. It happens. Yeah, it, uh, apparently. Uh, I mean, the, the, main, the main point of this album for Zappa, like musically, he was experimenting with what he called, I think it's pronounced xenochrony, uh, which is a term that, to my knowledge, never caught on anywhere else, uh, where he would take a live guitar solo from one song dub it over a completely unrelated instrumental backing track from a different song and then see what kind of musical coincidences or unrepeatable polyrhythms happen from that. What a guy. <laughs> we also know he gave his kids funny names. Yes, yep. that he did. Um, but I want to read the least talked about Zappa Child into the record, uh, Diva Muffin. Uh, Diva Muffin is 37 years old today, and that's about it. Diva Muffin Zappa. She's uh, on the Mighty Boosh. Yeah, and she's now been talked about a little bit more. There it I is. once was at a hipster spelling bee party in Atwater Village with uh, Diva Zappa. 
Oh, did not was she her. there? I finished ahead of her, though. Huh. Of course you did, because you're on the best trivia team I in the city. I didn't win, though, is the thing. I oh. did not win that spelling bee. I misspelled idiosyncrasy because I forgot that it had an idiosyncratic spelling. Wait, oh, oh, it wasn't trivia? It was No, it was, it was a, a spelling, spelling bee party. That was a long time ago. It was ago. like yeah. a nighttime didn't, party didn't where people drank, no. and oh. then there was a spelling bee, like, in the driveway. How about that? What fun times we have in Los Angeles. All right, some people might not realize this, but The Who did a lot of work on a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed rock opera that was never completed. Would have been one of the earliest efforts in that vein had it ever seen the light of day. I think we can say one of the members of The Who did a lot of work on it. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a bit because it's, oh boy, trying to untangle this guy's psyche. Yeah. Uh, A lot of the material ended up on Who's Next, which is their best album, and some other stuff came out later on Who Are You, a few other assorted solo projects by mastermind Pete Townsend. All right, this is going to take a minute to get through. God help me, I'm going to try to explain Lifehouse, which is the rock opera. So, Pete Townsend was coming off of Tommy, first real rock opera. He was getting into Sufi mysticism, as one does when one is a rock musician in the late 60s. He absorbed the idea that all matter emits light, heat, and sound in the form of vibrations. Pete watched his audiences get so into the music that he started to believe the vibrations would become so pure that the world would stop and the audience members would dance themselves into oblivion and their souls would leave their bodies to exist in a permanent state of ecstatic bliss. And Pete also came to believe that the only reason this did not literally happen was that everyone knew the concert would end and they would go back to work on Monday. Makes more sense than Tommy. Yes. So far, I thought this was about a house. Well, we're getting to that. There's a lot of of ideas pinging around in Pete's brain here. Uh, Pete had also acquired a couple of early synthesizers. He was fascinated by the idea of programming them using computerized biographical data to create musical themes unique to each individual human on Earth so that their audience members could find their own role in the music instead of just being passive consumers. Also in Pete's elaborate theory... Each of these musical themes could eventually be merged together to form what Pete imagined to be the universal chord, which would represent all of humanity and bring perfect harmony to the world through the science of vibrations. Pete also believed young boys were sexy. Oh, no, he was just doing research. Oh, that's right. Into young boys. To see if they were, in fact, sexy. Yeah, we don't know what his conclusion was. I have to do a lot of research. Yeah, he researched it a lot. All right. We're going to, I'm going to throw it now to Tony. With that background information in mind, I'm going to throw it to Tony for the actual plot of Lifehouse. Wait, because it's not, it's not research until I find a young boy who's not sexy to be the control. Yeah. This is all, this is all very one sided. Sorry, I didn't mean to choke off your bit there. No, it's okay. My bit, my bit was slow to develop. (laughs) I was thinking about it. It was percolating. Tony? All right, here we go. So here's the plot. Plot of uh, okay, uh, Lifehouse uh, takes place in a, a dystopia where rock and roll has vanished and nobody could go outside anymore because of pollution. So everyone stays at home encased in experience suits or life suits, yeah. depending on which draft. Okay, it was. That, that simulate reality. And these were all connected to something called the grid, which Townsend claims means he predicted the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, the internet, that thing you can't access unless you put on your internet suit. 
Yeah. <laughs> and virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> then one day, a wise old man who remembers rock and roll inspires a young rebel named Bobby to have a rock concert out on one of the farms, which are apparently far away from the pollution and don't require suits, and set it up in a special building called the Lighthouse. Hey, there you go, Hunter. Okay, thank God. Bobby hacks the suits to broadcast pirate radio-style ads for the concert. The Who loved pirate. They did a whole concept album about pirate radio a few years before. Uh, people shed their experience suits and head out to the countryside for the rock show. Their biographical data is fed into a computer to create their personal music theme. Just as the authorities arrive to break it up and arrest everyone, the universal chord sounds and everyone literally vanishes into a realm of mystical bliss. So I guess the message is sort of, computers are great as long as you do not wear them. Because <laughs> the computer is good, but they all the programs of the vibrations, I mean, that's what I'm getting out of it. And that's not all, because... Pete Townsend got so obsessed with the plot of this rock opera that he decided to try to make some version of this mystical experience happen in real life. Uh, he got the synth intro to Baba O'Reilly by programming in the data of his Indian spiritual guru, uh, Mihir Baba. I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, that's I have where no Baba idea. O'Reilly comes from. Yes. Uh, uh, Pete booked, he tried to book a series of Who concerts where he would do the same thing for audience members and let their communal participation help build the music that they would write on stage. Hence this song, Join Together, about joining together with the band. That's where this came from. Uh, unfortunately, nobody in the audience at that first gig understood what the fuck they were supposed to do. Well, not only that, but there's I've seen at least two interviews of people talking about Pete Townsend that were mm -hmm. around him back in the day that were like that whole story of him putting that into they're like, that's total bullshit. That's something he did just to make his story more interesting. You're saying the life suits is total bullshit? I'm saying, saying the Baba O'Reilly putting the Baba O'Reilly feeding it into a computer and getting that specific oh, keyboard thing didn't yeah, quite Yeah, he wasn't talking about the life suits, Tony. I saw, That's I real. Did, I saw. Tony, the, the life suits are fucking legit. I'm not questioning that. <laughs> Jesus, I'm not insane. So after all this conceptual bullshit goes down, uh, I, 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 I located the least surprising sentence on Wikipedia. I'd like to read it right now. Townsend's inability to translate the ideas in his head to those around him eventually led to a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Come on, Pete. Tommy had a couple good songs on it. Oh, God. Okay, so the epilogue to all of that... What I'm, what I'm saying is, his magnum opus, he connect with it a little bit. He did a kind of a good job. Yeah. Anyway. Well, the fact that he I wrote Tommy when he was 23... It's kind of remarkable. And the fact that Tony and I put it on live and were able to cut out 116 minutes of it to give it a good 40-minute narrative. Yeah. Structure. It was a good production. Did it live on stage. Yeah. Everybody here was part of it. Yeah, yep. me. Yep. Yeah. Hunter. Hunter came and saw it. Yeah, I did. It was wonderful. So uh, I'll get I'll get to the epilogue you, of, of the Lifehouse story. For a little over a year, from 2007 to 2008, uh, Townsend and a couple other guys set up a website called the Lifehouse Method, where you could, uh, contrary to the rumor about Bob O'Reilly, mm -hmm. you could input your biographical data and have it computerized into a personal musical theme. And I was excited to try that, uh, so I went to the website and I was greeted with, 
Our wonderful experiment on this site has come to an end. Mm-hmm. We are no longer accepting new sitters and creating music, musical portraits. Our thanks to all who have participated in Lifehouse Method to date. Boo. You know what, See, though? Steve? Bullshit. I can actually do that. If someone give me some biographical data, I, I, will, I will do it for you. I was born in 1980. All right, I got something. Here we go. I got something. I had a dog as a child named Fudu. That's the same bit as before, but... All right, here's... I got... I've lived in... We're going to challenge you to expand this bit. I've lived in Pullman, Washington, San Marcos, Texas, Eunice, Louisiana, and Big Rapids, Michigan. I love rock and roll. Put another guy with the jukebox, baby. Hey, I really like the song, Cowboy Song. I just played a bumper that said number two. Ah. Uh, what? One other thing I wanted to say about Lifehouse. Most of the stories have been about individualism, like freedom through individual emotional expression. But Lifehouse is weird, unique in that. Well, it's weird and unique in many ways, but uh, that it's about finding freedom through communal experience. It's a, it's a very different brand of dystopian future which rock and roll has been outlawed. All right. Thanks for going back for a fun fact, Steve, because I got to play uh, George's bumper without Dave interrupting it. Same bumper from before? Yeah. Uh, To be fair, I had help interrupting it. To be fair, he wanted to get a tune on his Tony. Yeah, Tony tunes. Tony was over that bit three biographical informations ago. But it's my fault. Yes. Got it. Here's a song that is not part of a big old rock opera with a disjointed plot. There's no ambiguity whatsoever about whether rock and roll has been outlawed. It's all right up here on the surface, all packed into one great dystopian future as rock and roll has been outlawed too. This is the title track of the second album by Stars, Stars with a Z on the end, uh, who were an early glam metal band from the late 70s. The song is called Violation. Uh, Stars had the same managers as Kiss and were also from New York. Hey, uh, hey guys, I don't know if you knew this before today. Stars is awesome. I did not know this before I today. I didn't know it. I'd never heard of Stars uh, before They're this. They're awesome. I looked yeah. them up and uh, I looked them up for about two minutes and uh, I learned about Michael Lee Smith, the lead singer. And if you listen, there's like a Freddie Mercury-esque quality to his voice. And uh, not only was Queen the shit back then and probably influenced them, but Michael Lee Smith, like Freddie Mercury, has a mouthful of giant teeth. Yeah. I, I think this is the sleeper hit on the list. Oh, absolutely! Stars is awesome. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a I have a future uh, future genre kicking around in my head. They have a song called Coliseum Rock, but nobody knows who Stars it is. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to do it one. I only have one song. Mm-hmm. It's a Stars song, but it's Coliseum but it, hits by bands that probably didn't play many. Coliseums. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Bang. So, so anybody has any ideas? It's, it's unknown bands singing songs about rock and roll rock grandeur. And sta- ro- yeah, yeah, rock and stadiums. <laughs> so like anthemic. Yes. Yeah. All right. It's like we're shit and we fill enormous yeah. rooms. We sell. We yeah. We sell out coliseums. But I only got stars so far because they're awesome. Twitter. 
Sorry. Give us a bunch of bad ideas. Okay, so this is uh, this is uh, not this isn't a rock opera, but the the album Violation has a bit of a history. Tony, I'm going to throw that to you. Sure. So originally, Violation was supposed to be a concept album, but the record company hated the idea and even made the band resequence the songs in the album to remove any semblance of a plot line. I guess uh, anyway. Uh, Violation was the only identifiable dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed song from the album Violation that survived. So, in a sense, what we have is a dystopian future ruled by corporations who have outlawed dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. Rock and roll. And Steve wrote that, so <laughs> uh, maybe tweet at him to parse it. But uh, anyway, uh, the album Violation was such a commercial failure that Capitol Records forced stars to go back to their original band name, Guys. <laughs> With a Z. Because they're not stars. Um, yeah. uh, See, they fit the that genre perfectly. Wait, was yeah. that true or is no? That, that Tony I joke? made it. I was a gag. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like it was sort of dry. Because you were reading all this and confused that Steve wrote it all. Right. Yeah, I was, I was so. trying to get at Capitol Records was a corporation, and they outlawed. So we hear rock and roll is now on rock and roll. This is the third time we've tried that bit of this no, yeah, podcast. It's no, it's great. It's just so ironic that a corporation outlawed this genre. Uh, so the plot of this song is just there's a committee who watches us, and they don't want you to rock or feel any emotions, and those are all violations. Or listen to their albums. Yeah. yeah. I think it works. Or buy their albums. Censorship. I think this song is pretty brilliant, because the dude says something awesome about rock and roll that he wants to do, and then that's the call, and then the response is, that's a violation, which is in and of itself both true to the plot and a great, great, great rock and roll refrain. So bravo, stars. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah, you could put this uh, violation up next to Violator. This one's going to win every time. You mean alphabetically? <laughs> well, and, and sonically. People like to draw out their number ones in the bumpers. Yeah, they do. Big finish. It is a big finish. It's funny because none, none of our number ones are like, yes, yeah! yes. Yeah! Like it's, it's always either like, of course this is number one, yeah, or like, it's like, oh, we got to listen to Sticks now. Hey, listen to that new WAP, Hunter. Where? There it is. <laughs> yep, there it is. I found one. I found a new WAP song. Uh, of course, this is Sticks. The song is High Time from the concept album Kilroy Was Here, which is set in a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed. Uh, I always knew Mr. Roboto was part of this concept album, and uh, I always figured that's why the song didn't make any sense. And I always, oh, it must come in the middle of the album, in between a bunch of other plot elements that make clear what the hell's going on. No! Mr. Roboto's the opening track of Cure was here, and instead what the band did was open their concerts with a nine and a half minute short film that sets up the plot of the album. I, I would love that. To, today's music, I would go see that band who has the balls to do that, to open up all their shows, and then play this album. <laughs> if you had any doubt that this was a dystopian future in which rock and roll is out, Outlawed. Uh, let me tell you, I open the, I, I look into the at the video and it opens with the chant, "No more rock, <laughs> no more rock," and Dennis DeYoung has cast himself as the lead. 
and the rest of the band is in the video as well. Uh, Dennis DeYoung gives his performance all he's got, uh, and the rest of the band clearly wants no part in this. I got I got bored skipping through this video. <laughs> and, and at the concerts, he would act out more. Like there's at least one other scene that he acts out on stage uh, after a couple songs. So it's a it's a it's an actual musical theater production. But honestly, basically. wouldn't you go see this if they came back? With the oh, yes. production Absolute. of this yes. album. Yeah. Yes. In a second. <laughs> and I would pay upwards of fourteen dollars. Yes. <laughs> yes. At the Canyon Club in Agora Hill. Yeah. Well, the last I saw Sticks once. I think I told the story. It was at the Red Lion Casino in Elko, Nevada. And I got thrown out because I thought it was really important I should get up on stage with Dennis DeYoung. <laughs> he, wow. he wasn't having it. So they threw me out of the club, deposited me directly in the casino where I hung out and played craps until after the concert. And then Tommy Shaw came and was playing at the same craps table. What year was it? This would have been 2004. Somebody on Twitter looked that up and, and make sure that Dennis DeYoung was not in sticks at that time. And Dave's totally fucked up with this facts. There's a good chance I'm way off base on it. A I was, good chance. I, <laughs> if I was a betting man at that casino, don't you, have, was, a, don't uh, you have a T-shirt from this concert? I do. You bought and, the T-shirt before he got kicked out, which and, is a smart man. Over there. And the, the, the con- and here's here's the the thing: the concert isn't on the T-shirt. It has all the dates uh, on the back. My concert isn't on there, so I can't even wear the shirt to prove it. I have a little anecdote about this, but I don't know if we're running over. All right, well, we've oh, we ran over a okay, half hour I, ago. Yeah. When I first moved to New York City, uh, I, my roommates uh, Stephen and Andrew, uh, we were we didn't have we didn't have any money. We didn't have girlfriends. We, all we would do pretty much on the Friday night would be to watch either uh, this tape we had of the TV series Sinbad that came out around the time of Xena Warrior Princess. That, uh, okay, yeah. had, it was like Sinbad the Sailor. Not yeah. Sinbad the comedian. Right. Yeah, exactly. Not the comedian, the sailor edit. But there was an episode that it was before they'd done any post effects. So we would just watch it and oh, see really? where Sinbad levitates. Real but, you, yeah, but you see him on a, you see him on like one of those cranes or whatever. And we just watch that. Or like, that was one of the two tapes that we watched. That and the, the, this tape of Sticks Caught in the Act Live that had the which was the concert that had the the movie, the short film film in it. So pretty much we had nothing to do. We were so worried. All we did was watch these tapes. But that all changed when we discovered a little something called land parties. And after that, (laughs) we were having a great time. We plugged all our computers in together and played games against each other. So, Tony, would you walk us through the final plot summary of the evening? So, um, the setup for the Kilroy was this yes, is basically this is a, a short plot. film. Yeah. So basically, rock star Robert Oren Charles Kilroy. There you check those are. initials. Mm-hmm. There it is. is. Is sentenced to life in prison for Wait, the. Yes. Did you say uh, Cobbert Oren Charles Kilroy? I'm looking up uh, oh, sticks, that... and they were in Elko, Nevada. Was Dennis DeYoung in the band at the time? I don't think he was. I can't tell, but I don't think he was. I but they did was. play. They did, according to Setlist FM, they did play. Don't. Uh, they did play. Come sail away. Of course. Which was his song. Was was that Dennis? DeYoung? Yeah, but they got the new guy who's. who's so you're new... telling me I went through all that shit to get on stage with Dennis. Young and that motherfucker wasn't even Dennis T. Young. We got a stage with with Tommy Shaw. That's pretty cool. Oh, I never made it to the stage. Oh, 
<laughs> so, okay, Tony's in so the middle of a really... Robert Orrin Charles Kilroy. Really okay. compelling plot. August, August 21st, 2004. Listen to this. He's sentenced to life in prison for the manslaughter of a member of the Majority for Musical Morality. A young fan named Jonathan Chance jams the airwaves to broadcast one of Kilroy's songs on... T or one of his songs on TV and inspires Kilroy to break out of prison. The prison is run by robot guards. Uh, and you can see on the cover of the Killer Was Here album, album that they look like offensive caricatures of giant Japanese babies. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is they true. They got big. They got big uh, Mickey Rooney in, in Breakfast at Tiffany's teeth. Yeah. Like yeah. Subtle. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> subtle. Kilroy escapes from prison by pulling the old kick a robot in the robot balls <laughs> and use the robot's head as a mask over your own head routine. We've all done it. Yeah. It's such a cliche. And uh, that's, uh, of course, we know the song Mr. Roboto at the end. He goes, I'm Kilroy, because he pulls the robot's helmet off. He's yeah, not he a robot. He reveals himself to Jonathan He's Chance. He's not a Roboto, anyway. Uh, yeah, the robots are called Robotos. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that's the setup, and then later it's revealed during the narrative theatrical proportion of the concert that the evil Dr. Righteous uh, framed Kilroy for the murder to destroy rock music. All right. and, this, and this song is basically just uh, Kilroy's pledging to lead the revolution against Dr. Righteous for freedom of expression. Pretty straightforward. God, this is so lame. <laughs> Have you ever tried to listen to this whole album? Yes. No, I never have. Yeah. I tried in preparation for this show, and I had to skip a few. Yeah, it's hard. Like, eh. I feel like, know, the Tony, high I feel times like you and I crazier. sat down with it once and gave it a, gave it a, the old, the old college try. It's the, there's worse things. It's not like sitting through 21, yeah, 12. No, I mean, at least there's like, <laughs> songs are broken up. It's, yeah. I want so, to, anyway, I, oh, any, this, oh, this show was very expensive to stage. The tour lost sticks a bunch of money. The other band members were not happy with this direction at all. And they didn't want to do it in the it. first place. Yes. Uh, they, did, they, they did nothing else until they reunited in 1990 and had a hit with a straightforward power ballad, uh, which is kind of a Gulf War long-distance dedication called Show Me the Way. Uh, JD. Oh, uh, yeah, I, wrote, I once wrote a movie professionally based on uh, the Sticks Kilroy Was Here fiasco. It was about like a, a cool bar band from St. Louis who had to take on a lead singer to get signed, and he was basically Dennis DeYoung and took them in this terrible direction. Uh, it was a, a fun script, sold to a big movie song, studio. Yeah. Uh, but it never got made, so I guess we live in a world where excellent writing has been outlawed. <laughs> Hollywood, <laughs> thank you for all the money you've paid me over the years. Uh, okay, great, all good, right. good man. That was that was a rough countdown. Yeah, <laughs> that was long. Are we gonna I hear got... any of Roboticus? No, no. Uh, we can go find it on the web. Uh, oh. So what didn't make the list? <laughs> All right, I have a couple honorable uh, mentions. Didn't we go over this early in the podcast? Yeah, we definitely went yeah, over no, this. No, we didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are a couple I could confirm that Rock and Roll have been outlawed. I just didn't like the. I didn't like the Coldplay album. Milo Nobody likes the Coldplay album. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to put it on there. Uh, in that future, sound and color have been outlawed, so it's like Big Brother meets Rainbow Bright what? villain Murky Dismal, if you guys remember uh, Murky Dismal, who wanted to get rid of all the colors in Rainbow Land. Well, I'm mm. running an album where sound, color, and smells have been outlawed. <laughs> oh, no! But oddly enough, not taste. Uh, also, there the power metal band Iced Earth has a not-quite-concept album called Dystopia. There's a song called Equilibrium, based on the movie of the same name, and music has indeed been outlawed in the plot of that movie. I'm really glad you got a chance to get a couple more picks in there, Steve. Yeah. Those are the only other ones I could confirm. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, what, did, what did you guys find? Did so you the, guys find anything else? The rest of us. Uh, how about me first? Something off Thin Lizzy's Jailbreak. It's a half-ass concept album, and it's really up to the album art to sell the comic book sci-fi dystopia. Uh, they never really say why they were in jail and had to break out. Uh, but I'm going to assume it was because they rocked too hard. That's a logical assumption. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the song Running Back sounds like a sad song about uh, about rock and roll being banned and not being able to play it anymore. Uh, or, you know, play something from the award-winning show for Roboticus. <laughs> That's why you don't have to. Uh, Dave? Uh, I was trying to make an argument for all the young dudes, but I'll just check myself and say that I'm wrong. Pete Townsend is trying to make an argument for all the young It doesn't it doesn't fit, <laughs> but it's a good song. Uh, so I don't I don't have a so proud. I don't have a song you missed, but I have an anecdote of rock and roll actually being outlawed and how people dealt with it in the most rock and roll way imaginable. This is awesome. This is great. Alright. So it was the nineteen fifties in USSR. Rock and jazz fans had to get their hands on their favorite band music. So they would print albums using old x-rays, which were a cheap and easy source of vinyl. So uh, they'd have to cut a disc shape by hand and burn the center hole with a cigarette. And then they'd put it through the record printer and and print a thing. You could only cut grooves on one side. Um, So what you got were these flimsy and perfectly shaped records, which were actually, they were x-rays of human bones. Like, they look badass. Google X-Ray Audio Project for some pictures or rock and roll band in Russia and find some Smithsonian.com article or some other articles uh, about the X-Ray records. It's cool. And then Chernobyl happened. (laughs) Yep. And they all melted. Tony? And I just wanted to put out a, a call if there's any stoner metal bands listening. If you could please record a concept album about a dystopian future where weed is even more illegal. <laughs> we need it. Um, Dave, what's the next episode? Oh, shit. Yeah, that's oh. me, isn't it? Uh, I'm doing, I'm going to take a swing at the plot rock episodes, and I'm doing black exploitation plot rock. That's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and I want to try to get it in in under 120 minutes. To be fair, we did stop and restart. This 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 is still a long episode. Okay. I'm just I'm just throwing my goal out there. It's important to make goals. <laughs> stop throwing your goal out there. Goals are good. Find this week's uh, a dystopian future in which rock and roll has been outlawed playlist by following Jay Rizner on Spotify. Uh, go to yachtrock.com to buy T-shirts, read the captain's blog, and see show notes by Tim Malcolm. Follow him on Twitter at Timothy Malcolm for fun facts. Send questions via Twitter at yachtrock. Somebody else take over. Follow JD at JD Riznar. Follow Hollywood Steve at Hollywood Steve H. Follow David at David underscore B underscore Lions. Follow Hunter at Hunter Stare. Follow me, Tony Zaret, at Tony Zaret on Instagram. You're going to see a lot of lot memes. Of my, yeah. All my energy is gone in, goes into memes now, so just follow me on Instagram. Uh, like Yacht Rock on Facebook. Follow Beyond Yacht Rock on Instagram. Rate and review us on iTunes. Your reviews help us pick up heat. So please take the time to write us a review. Thanks to George Flanagan. George Flanagan for sending in the bumpers. Uh, themes by Rob Crow and Mark Rivers. Uh, thanks to Dustin, Jason, Noah, Kristen, the entire Feral Audio family. Check out other Feral Audio podcasts on Google.com and put Feral Audio in the search thing and take you right there. Whew.